I tell people all the time when I describe, when they say, well, what's Patrick like? I say, well, he's like, he's like a, a raging prophet declaring that there's only one king and you better get ready to serve him, kind of like John the Baptist. He's a mad prophet declaring there's only one way. He's the truth and he's the life and you better get ready because he's coming. I tell people that he doesn't just sing to the church. See, you might think, well, he's singing to the church. But if you pay attention, he's singing to an entire generation. He, he is talking to it. He's like, I say he's like Marvin Gaye. You remember Marvin Gaye? Marvin Gaye didn't just sing to, to black people. He didn't just sing to, to, to he, did, he sang to a generation. He was singing about the times in which he lived. If you listen to his lyrics, he was singing to an entire generation. And he was singing a song from his soul. And I believe that's what Patrick does. He sings from his spirit. He doesn't just sing to the church. And that's why so many people resonate. That's why he can walk into a bar and declare the gospel to them. And it resonates. Wow, this guy's got something I need. Church on the North Coast, can you stand to your feet with me tonight and welcome a raging prophet, Patrick Davis, as he comes to minister the word. Jesus, we thank you for your presence and your spirit in this place tonight. God, I pray that you would open our eyes that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. I pray that we would have eyes to see and we would have ears to hear what you have to say to us uh, right here, right now, today. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm not, I don't feel very comfortable preaching in a typical sense, so please bear with me. Uh, I can only be me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it the way that I feel like is in me to do. The way that I study and, and my particular way to communicate the scriptures are often from an alternative, edgy, but Hebraic uh, background. And so that's kind of what we're going to get into tonight. I thank God for the body of Christ because, man, if we were all the same, can you imagine how boring that would be? Seriously. I mean, just think about just the races of people. That would be so boring if everyone was white and Irish like me, right? We're all walking around. Would you like some cabbage? You know? How boring would that be, right? So God, He is the author of diversity, right? That is why when the Tower of Babel was being built, He dispersed the people, not only because they were building a tower as an idol, but because they were trying to come together and they were resisting diversity. And so... With that being said, uh, I'm just going to jump into it, and uh, I hope you are disturbed. I really do. Can we drop these lights completely out? Don't worry, I'm not going to go in your pockets, okay? I used to rob people, I don't anymore. Let's drop the lights completely down. My hand will not be in your wallet. Completely, nothing. 400 years of silence 400 years of God seeing me as far as the moon 400 years from the time of the Old Testament to the New Testament 400 years of the prophet's mouth being closed and in the second century BC the Jews are being oppressed they're being oppressed and they're being taken advantage of by a foreign king, King Antiochus comes in with his Greek army and overthrows the temple of God in Jerusalem. Immediately, reading of the scriptures is outlawed. 
any Jewish woman that is engaged to be married is forced to have sex with a Greek soldier before she's married. Any woman that insists on circumcising her child according to the law of Moses is killed along with her fetus. And somewhere outside of Jerusalem, an old priest by the name of Mattathias is told to sacrifice an unclean animal on the altar of God. He's told to perform a sacrifice that is an abomination to his God. And this old and frail man says, I will never sacrifice to a foreign God. I will never worship another man. And at his resistance, an uprising begins to form. And Mattathias' son, by the name of Judah Maccabee, begins to form a revolt. And he begins to gather his brothers and fellow Jews that still desire to honor the one true God. And as this begins to happen, King Antiochus storms into the temple of God. He storms with his Greek army into the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem. And he takes an unclean animal. He takes a pig. A pig is an unclean animal. It was banned by Levitical law. God declared it as an unclean animal. And this foreign king comes in and he takes this unclean animal and he places this animal on the altar of God and he slaughters it. And he begins to rip the entrails out of the pig and he begins to drag the entrails throughout the temple of God defiling and desecrating the temple and just when they thought it couldn't get any worse he boils this sacrifice that was offered to a false god on the altar of Yahweh he boils it and he takes the broth from this unclean animal and he begins to pour it on the holy scriptures of God. He begins to pour the broth of this animal on the holy scriptures of God. Utter desecration, the abomination of desolation, that same spirit that is going to come in the end times. He begins to pour it out on the altar and the scriptures of God. But somewhere lurking in the shadows is an uprising beginning to form. And Judah Maccabee, Mattathias' son, and his army, a small group of people, a very small group of people in comparison to this raging Greek army. This Greek army, this whole culture came from Alexander the Great. And this small group of people begins to form a rebellion. And they rush the temple of God. And they're willing to lay down their very lives and fight for what they believe in. What are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to lay your life 
on the lion for it. And so they begin to rush the temple and they begin to wage war with the Greek army in this small, this very small and insignificant army. Miraculously overthrows the entire Greek army. Drives them out. Defeats them. And so they have to go through this whole period of cleansing. And this is where the story of Hanukkah comes in. And as they begin to cleanse the temple, they take the candlestick of God and they begin to look for oil because you couldn't just use any oil because the whole temple had been defiled. The oil was sealed a certain way by the high priest. And they began to search. They began to search frantically. Frantically. Do you see any over there? Do you see any over there? Check under that rubble. Check underneath that. Is there any oil left in the house? And somewhere off in a corner, one of the warriors finds a small package of oil sealed. But it's not enough. It's only enough for one day. And so even though there's only enough oil for one day, they light the candle. They light the candlestick of God. Remember, this is right before Jesus is born. They light it anyways. And the story of Hanukkah goes, even though there was only enough oil to last one day, to last one night, miraculously, the oil burned for eight days. What does oil symbolize in the Bible? It symbolizes the spirit of God, the fire of God, the presence of God. Miraculously, the presence of God had been restored in the temple and it burned for eight entire days until they can make new oil because making oil was a lengthy process. It took eight days and you had to press the oil. There was a certain way you had to go about it. And so miraculously, the fire of God burned for eight days. That is the story of Hanukkah. And in the menorah, uh, there's one candle that sits in the middle of the candlestick. And it's called the servant or the guardian candle. And you can't just light any of the candles. You don't just go and you light all the candles. But what you do is you have to light that first one first, right? You have to light the guardian, right? Remember that, the guardian. You have to write the servant candle. And so you light the servant candle. And then each day in remembrance of this revolt and in remembrance of this uprising, each day one candle is lit up to eight days. And it's also in Jewish culture, it's called the festival of lights. And in remembrance of this, in, in Herod's temple, which was the same temple that Jesus, right? The same temple. This, this is the same idea. This temple 
inside a certain area in this temple is called the women's court. And in remembrance of this whole story and in remembrance of what happened, what they did was they built four menorahs that were 75 feet tall. Can you imagine the flame? I don't know about you. I was a pyro when I was a kid. I love fire, fire. Give me some matches, right? Can you imagine the blaze? 75 feet. I don't even think this ceiling, this ceiling would probably be almost 50. I would say if I was the guest, around 50 feet tall. Now look up. Everybody look up. I'm not going to chop you in the throat, I promise. You see how high that is? Throw another 25 feet on top of that. So four of these menorahs were, were placed inside of the women's court, right? And these menorahs were so huge that these uh, containers here, uh, they wouldn't actually be candles, but there would be oil inside of this little, uh, this little container here on the bottom. And there would be a wick placed inside of there. It wouldn't actually be candles. Candles is what we use now, but it was actually oil. But these menorahs were so huge that they took 10 gallons of oil for each little cup. 10 gallons of oil for each cup. That is unbelievable. 10 gallons. So you got what? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 gallons of oil. And it said that the wicks on the candlestick were so huge. The wicks were actually made out of the priest's pants. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a candle that is... Is there any pyros in the house? Come on, let's be honest, guys. All right, okay. I'm a recovering pyro. I try not to burn things anymore. used to love burning stuff when I was a kid. Got me in a lot of trouble. I don't do it anymore. Unless I'm in the middle of the woods. Okay. So these things were enormous. And it's said that in Jewish culture, when they, this light from these menorahs was so intense... That from the temple, because the blaze and the fire was so huge, it could be seen in every house in Jerusalem, right? This fire was enormous. And so you could be sitting like a mile away, two miles away, 75 feet, these huge flames blazing out. And it said, according to history, that the Jewish people, when they saw the fire, they began to sing this song. That our ancestors have turned their backs on the temple of the Lord. But we will remember our God. And so you have people that were willing to fight for what they believed. They were willing to resist this culture because the thing was with Antiochus and his Greek army and this Hellenistic culture, the goal wasn't just to come in and overthrow their society, right? The goal wasn't just to get their real estate. The goal wasn't just to steal their house and their money and their resources. They didn't just want that, but this army and this culture that they were dealing with, they wanted your entire identity. He, he outlawed reading of the scriptures, right? He desecrated the temple of God. He refused to allow them to get married. He refused to allow Jewish women to get married unless they had sex with the Greek soldier. He wanted their identity, right? And so this Hellenistic culture, one of the main things that's, that's, that's prominent in Hellenistic culture is the, is the focus of the human being. As the human being, 
In Hellenistic culture, they view the human as the center of reality. It's the worship of self. And so these Jews felt that that was an abomination to their God. We are not going to worship ourselves or you or anyone else, but we're going to worship our God. One of the other things that was prominent in Hellenism was the human form and sexuality. If you've ever seen any of these Greek statues, this is where all this comes from. The Greeks and this Hellenistic culture are the ones that invented the gymnasium. They're the ones that invented the stadium. They're the ones that invented the theater. The Colosseum that you see on the gladiator and the whole Roman world was influenced by this Greek culture. And they were trying to force it upon them and they refused to accept it. Theater, different forms of theater. Uh, we, you know, they had, they had a theater outside of uh, where Jesus uh, walk this earth. And, and, and there's interesting stories uh, of things that would go on in this theater. You know, you have every kind of uh, violence, every kind of drama, murder, death, adultery, fornication was played out on these stages, right? It was like the second century BC days of our lives, right? It was the ancient soap opera. Like, see, we think this stuff is new. You know, we think all this stuff is new, but this stuff has been going on forever. And they were trying to force it upon the people of God. Do you know that in the first century church, they refused to engage in the entertainment of the Romans? Do you know that? They resisted the Colosseum. The Colosseum was such a barbaric place. It was an enormous stadium where they would send packs of dogs in there to fight different animals they would they would have if you've ever seen the movie gladiator they would have chariots and people riding around they'd be riding around so fast that they would crash into each other and guys would fly out and they would get ran over just the most barbaric disturbing stuff you could imagine there was a focus on the human being you were in this huge stadium think about when you go see the browns you're in this huge stadium all that originated in this greek culture in this huge stadium and you're looking down at this spectacle that is happening Jesus even celebrated Hanukkah, John 10, 22 through 24. They were celebrating Hanukkah just then in Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was strolling in the temple. Strolling. This is the message. A little bit of slang for you. He was strolling, whatever that means. In the temple across from Solomon's porch, the Jews circling him said, How long are you going to keep us guessing? If you're the Messiah, tell us straight out. God's word is always dangerous to those who would make human beings the center of the universe. Do you know that? God's word is always dangerous to those who would make human beings the center of the universe. Unfortunately, this same Hellenistic culture has influenced America more than anything else. The violence, the worship of self, it's even crept into some churches. Where the human being, think about it, the human being becomes the focus. You know, the preacher, the worship leader, how everybody's dressed, right? We become the focus. Psalms 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust and remember the name of the Lord our God. See, the only thing about Judah Maccabee and him storming the temple was, it wasn't enough. 
Because what, ha- what began to happen over time was the same family and these same people that led this uprising, eventually they began to buy into the same culture. They began to become what they fought to resist. And history states that right next to the temple, they built a stadium and they built a theater where nude athletics could be performed. And they appointed themselves as high priests. It wasn't enough. See, they came to cleanse a physical temple. But in the New Testament and in the covenant of Jesus, Jesus says, no longer am I dwelling in buildings, but I am dwelling within the human heart. There is coming a day where not only is my word going to be writ on inscriptions of stone, but I'm going to write it upon the human heart. There's coming a day where the temple is not going to be a building, but it's going to be people. And some people trust in chariots. And some trust in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I'm going to put this in today's terms, and this may offend you. I apologize if it does. Some trust in chariots. And some trust in horses. Some trust in militaries. Some trust in governments. Some trust in homeland security. Some trust in fighter planes. Some trust in bombs and weapons and rebels. And some trust in the Al-Qaeda. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in the strengths of human beings. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The kingdom of God will not be established through the hands of man. And that's why when this Hanukkah and this whole thing happened, the palm branch, okay, the palm branch. Remember, the palm branch. The palm branch was a symbol as they would wave it. And this happened before Jesus ever came to the earth. They would wave palm branches and they would sing Hosanna. And Hosanna means, oh, Lord, save us. And what they were praying for is they were, they were praying, save us from a drought, right? Make sure we have the food that we need. Make sure that it rains, right? It had to rain so their crops could grow so they could survive so that was sustenance, right? It would be today's equivalent to, Lord, make sure I have a job, right? Make sure I can pay my bills. They, they would wave these palm branches and worship the God and they would say, oh, Lord, save us. It symbolized, one, provide the rain. Two, we need spiritual freedom. But then, after Hanukkah, Another thing that was incorporated into this Hosanna, Hosanna with the palm branches was God. Only you can bring political freedom. And this is where it gets heavy. Do you know today that there is never going to be political freedom through the hands of a human being? Do you know that? Do you know that? I think we're all coming to the realization that the Republicans or the Democrats are not going to save us. The United States government is not going to save us. 
A bailout is not going to save us. Our homeland security is not going to save us. Some trust in chariots and horses and political parties and bailouts. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Who are you trusting in today? Who are you trusting for freedom? Who are you trusting for salvation? Who are you trusting for political freedom? Because the gospel of Jesus is very political. Whether you like it or not, it is. But he's not loyal to any party. His kingdom and his party transcends all of that. Do you know that there's coming a day? Do you, do you realize this? There is coming a day where the God of heaven himself is going to mount a white horse. There's coming a day. Book of Revelations, there's coming a day where the king himself is going to mount a white horse and he is going to overthrow every president, every dictator, every, every single one, everyone, everyone. Not just over there, but here. I got nothing against Obama, but Jesus is going to overthrow every authority, okay? He is going to overthrow every dictator. He is going to overthrow every, every form of violence. The Bible says that there's going to come a day where the lion will lay down with the lamb and we will beat our weapons into plows. Do you realize this is the king? This is the freedom. This is the utopia that we're all waiting for. And we're thinking that it's going to come from these people. And they tell us all these lies. All of them. They tell us all these lies. And they promise all these things. But it never happens. And now you know what? It never will. Until the king himself, the real king, comes and cleanses the entire temple. In order for us to be free, there needs to be a rebellion. For there to be a rebellion, we must first acknowledge that something is wrong. What have you allowed into your temple? What do you mean by that? What Jesus says in Scripture, that you, not a building, but you, your life, your body... You are the temple of the living God. What have you allowed into your building? What have you allowed to poison your soul? Have you allowed the influence of the theater and the media to poison your soul? Have you allowed them to drag all kinds of defilement through your body and and your candle and your light begins to grow dim? What have you allowed into your temple? Have you allowed the spirit of violence that is flowing through our land There's been more death and more murder in the 20th and 21st century than all of them put together. Do you realize that? With all of our technology, with all of our science, with all, with, with, with all this human knowledge, right? The worship of knowledge, the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. We think we're gonna achieve this utopia, but there's been more death and more destruction and more wars and more violence. Have you allowed the spirit of violence, the same spirit that wanted to force itself upon the temple in the second century BC? It is here today on this earth. What have you allowed into your temple? Have you allowed the influence? Has your Christian walk become more about you than God? You know, we're all guilty of this. I don't want you to feel like I'm up here slaying you because it's me too, right? I study this stuff and I this is me first. I have to look at myself before I can share it with anybody else, right? 
Too, too many times people just spew stuff. I, believe me, this, this almost brought me to tears. What, what have I allowed into my life? What have I allowed into my temple? Have I allowed myself to be influenced? Have I bought into the lie that being a Christian is all about me? Serve me. Feed me. What can you do for me? I want it this way. I want the music this way. I like this kind of preacher. I want this. I want that. Feed me. What do you have for me? What do you have for this? What do you? No, 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 no. Jesus, save us from a selfish Christianity. Save us from a faith that is just about us. That is the worship of self in the same spirit of Hellenism that you came to drive out. Save us from selfish Christianity. Matthew 4, 14 through 15. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand, the candlestick. You are the light. You are the menorah. You are the light. And put it on a stand. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Do you know that God has made you the light of the world? Do you know the moment that you believe you become a light in a dark world? Do you realize what is inside of you? Do you realize what God has placed inside you? Do you realize that you have the ability as a believer to walk into the darkest environment and bring life? Do you realize that you have the ability to walk into your family situation that is full of darkness and death and destruction and you have the ability to bring light? It was never designed to be under a bushel. Luke 18, 16, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, again, the lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. Revelation 1, 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stands are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands, which you saw are the seven churches. So the lampstand is you and I. The light, the fire, symbolizes the presence of God. Revelations 1, 13, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Do you realize that Jesus stands in the book of Revelations in the middle of seven menorahs? 